Just a good, good trip. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, Romans the 12th chapter, and want to talk a little science with you this morning, give you an equation. Now, sometimes people think, you know, there's some, uh, a lot of dichotomy or a lot of uh, uh, friction between Bible and science. I think when science is seen and corrected generally and uh, interpreted correctly, I don't think there's a whole lot of division between real science and real Bible. I think sometimes though through history, uh, some people who say the Bible, they've kind of come up with some kind of crazy things that were not very biblical nor scientific. And I think sometimes the scientific community comes up with a bunch of stuff that they think is science and almost anti-Bible. And I think that both of those can get a little back and forth. But I want to give you an equation. You probably don't think generally of God having an equation, but this Romans chapter 12, I want to give it to you. And it's this presentation plus transformation equals revelation. So think about that. Presentation plus transformation equals revelation. Now, I just kind of kick this off with a couple of uh, quotes because I think it's important as far as uh, it goes with uh, to tie in with the equation part. In an evolutionist worldview, nature is governed by chance, but this correlation is not reasonable, really, and they recognize that, most of them that are honest. One fellow named Eugene Wigner, who was the Nobel Prize winner in physics in 1963, actually wrote a, uh, an article entitled The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics and the Natural Sciences. He said it was mysterious and he didn't know of any rational explanation for it since math was just in the invention of the mind of, in the mind of man. He said it isn't natural that laws should even exist and that we should be able to discern what those laws are. So he was seeing, you know, he was seeing a big gap between what's science, you know, we hear a lot about that, we was following the science. I, some of the people say they're following science seem to be following it the least, I don't know. Uh, but that's a little bit political, so we won't touch on that too much this morning. But the scientists are puzzled about that. Even Albert Einstein said similar things. He said he expected the world to be chaotic as predicted by his naturalistic worldview. So the success of mathematics, he said, which showed a high degree of order in the objective world was a mystery to him. He said we have to be resigned to recognizing the quote-unquote miracle without having any legitimate way of getting further at it. <laughs> I find that interesting. Thus, he said he was resigned to recognizing this miracle and just uh, scientists just didn't know how to explain it. Scientists now run away from the issue and hide in the dark in the mental closet of pragmatism. These equations work, but they don't know why they work if indeed all the world just happened to come together in, you know, out of the chaotic primordial soup. But the mystery is resolved in Genesis 1.26, isn't it? <laughs> That's where it says, and God said, and God said. Let me read you a couple of quotes. Roger Penrose, who was the Oxford professor of mathematics, said this, the laws of the universe are so perfect, so exact, so unlikely to have happened by chance, he said that a creator must have written the equations into the cosmos at its inception. Whoa, there's a, there's a, Brilliant stroke of honesty there. Michael Turner, University of Chicago, physics, uh, led the Fermi lab for years. He said the tuning of the universe is so precise, it's like taking a dart and throwing it across the universe and hitting a one millimeter target. This was the leader of the Fermi lab. 
no slouch scientifically. And Sir James Jeans, not any kin to Sir Mr. Green Jeans, who some of you grew up with, uh, with Captain Kangaroo. You remember that, Sir Green Jeans, he was there. Uh, it must have been his cousin, Sir James Jean, he was a British physicist. A colleague of Einstein said this, the universe can be described so well mathematically that God must be a mathematician. God must be a mathematician. I find that interesting, and that makes me think of this equation. Presentation plus transformation equals revelation. Well, here the Lord speaks, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, we want to thank you this morning. Thank you for uh, the ability to be here. God, every time I preach, I, I think about countries and people and politics and places all over the world uh, that do not allow the gospel to be preached. They, they don't allow a word of freedom of uh, conscience, and uh, God, we're grateful for this country that we do, that we still do, uh, but Lord, we may be realizing a time that we do not, and uh, so God, we pray for America today. God, we pray for the gospel as it goes out <clears throat> all across not only this country, but Lord, as the Sabbath dawns all over the world, that missions and cultures and people and uh, God, your churches would be rising up to preach Jesus, him crucified buried, risen, and living Savior and Lord this day. So God, press that truth on us, we pray this morning. And uh, God, have our conscience, have our minds. Speak to us today, we pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this equation, old George W. Truett, great old Baptist preacher of another generation, he said about the will of God, he said, to find the will of God is, is, is life's greatest knowledge or to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery, and to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. Wouldn't you like to know what God's will is? I mean, you know, we, we generally know, but, you know, we don't necessarily pray about what color shirt to put on, dress in the morning, those kinds of things. I, you know, I get that. But, you know, certainly the bigger issues of life, you know, where do we go, what do we do, who do we marry, do we buy, sell a house, yada, you know, there's just a, just a myriad of things. And, and your questions may be a little different from my questions, but all of us, I think, as God's people would like to know the will of God. Uh, and I think this equation can help us. And as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, God begins to transform us. And then he says he begins to open up a window where we can know we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it says here, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, this starts with God. This is not just something we want to pull our bootstraps up by. We, we discover here that God calls us, and that's the word beseech is the word parakaleo, and it's two Greek words put together. Kaleo means to call, and para means para-parallel, where we get our word parallel. Now, back when I was a kid, Mom would stand out on the porch and say, Rob, supper. <laughs> you know, you, maybe you grew up that way too. You know, your parents didn't really care. You were gone all day long playing, riding bicycles, and, you know, there were not a bunch of nuts out there trying to hurt you or kill you or blow you up or shoot, you know, like there are today. And this, with this world we live in is just demented. It's goofy. It's scary. No wonder kids are having a problem. Adults have an issue with that. But back in those days, it really didn't matter. 
Now I guess these days you probably text your child and tell them to come on home for lunch or dinner. I don't know, but you probably don't hear anybody saying, come on home for supper. But that's what God does. A kaleo is to call, and God parakaleo, he calls us to what? To come along what? Beside him. He calls us to come on and leave what we're doing in our waywardness and to come along beside him and walk in agreement with him parallel. He calls us to come along and to walk in unison and agreement with him. Our problem is that we're kind of figuring out our own way and doing our own thing and focused on our own junk and we're not like this with God. Many times we're like this with God, aren't we? We kind of fight and want to do our own thing and God's saying, hey, come on over here. And we're like, no, I'm going to do my own way for a little while. And God says, okay, okay. But it's a whole lot easier when we hear the call and we come to him. And he says, we do this. He says, I beseech you, call you brethren by the mercies of God. That word, that little word by is di, where we get our word diameter. And what is a diameter is a circle. For those of you mathematicians, you got a circle like this. And what is a diameter? The diameter is right square through the middle of it, isn't it? And so what he's saying here, he's saying, look back at God's mercies and see how God has called you and brought you through the stuff. Look back at God's history. Look back at your history with God and see that God has not brought you through one thing after another after another. His grace, his goodness, his bounty, his mercy. And he calls us, he says here, through these mercies, he says, remember that and hear that. And he says, what? In order that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, that you might present yourself. The word there is a kind of a, a word that means yield. It means to stop. It means to hold up. It means to, to, to pause what you're doing and say, all right, God, I'm giving it to you. Now, I've taught four kids how to drive a car. Now, what is the first thing you do when you teach a kid to turn on the car? Is it to put it in gear and stomp on the accelerator? No. You show them what? Where the brake is. <laughs> the brake is the most important part of that car when they're starting to learn how to drive. They've got to learn how to brake. And I'd have my kids, I would say, now I'm going to run a little experiment with you because you don't know how fast a car will brake or how slow it will brake. So I said, we're going to be driving down through the neighborhood, not out on a main road or anything. And I'll, and I'll say, now, you, what I want you to do is to stop at a certain point where I tell you to stop. We might be going 15, 20, 30 miles an hour, and I'll see a green mailbox coming up, and it's coming, coming, coming. I say, see that green mailbox? And we're right up on it. I say, you try to stop at that. And they'll, <gasps> and they, more they clamp down on that brake, but you know, it shows them how, you know, how much force is in that car and how, what kind of different, what kind of distance it takes for them to stop and break. And I think that helped, I hope that helped them. They hadn't been in any accidents. Knock on wood, I may, you know, the day is young, but uh, who knows. But at any rate, you tell them how to break and to slow down. And I think that's one thing God tells us to do. He calls us to yield. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you might be a little dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you may be a little selfish. You may be a little self-centered. You might think you're a little bit smart, a little bit intelligent, and you just might think, I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> I'm going to get this figured out. And unfortunately, sometimes we do. <laughs> I wish all of life's experiences would lead us and teach us to 
learn how to trust God more, but I, sometimes we're left to our own devices and sometimes we're successful. And I think sometimes that teaches us, hey, we, we can kind of get along without God. We can plan this thing and do it and give it and fix it and, and move on without the Lord's uh, help or assistance. But the word here says that we need to yield. We need to yield. And he says here that, and we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy, which is acceptable. He says here, it is your reasonable service. Now that word reasonable is, is, is where, where we get our word logical or, or, or logic. It means that it's, it's right. It, it looks good. It fits you. Now it's interesting the word, you know, we've talked about, you know, the cosmos and everything. There's, there's kind of opposites of Greek words. There's, there's cosmos and there's chaos. So chaos is, you know, you know what, that's just mess, just stuff's going on, disorderly crazy. But cosmos doesn't mean just necessarily the world or the universe and so so. Uh, cosmos means an ordering. It means a structure. Now, fellas, don't tell your wife, but that's where the word cosmetic comes from. Because when she gets up in the morning, she might look at her face and says, oh, it is unstructured. And so <laughs> it needs some structure. So what do you do? You get cosmetics because what? That's the same root word for cosmos. It structures and orders. Now, guys, before you laugh at your wife, you better take a little peek in the mirror too because you probably need it worse than she does. But our culture doesn't go for that much, but unfortunately it is. I, well, I saw some of the Olympics something the other day and somebody, some guy had on different color fingernails and I'm kind of like, Ooh, that's a little different. You know, you wouldn't have seen that in the Olympics a number of years ago, but there's all kinds of things that that going on and I don't quite agree with. But uh, So I'm trying to kind of mind my own business if I can. My wife tells me sometimes, you, you better be quiet about that. You know? <laughs> so, but at any rate, he says here that we need to be transformed. He says it looks good on you. When we yield, when we stop, when we say, I'm going to put self aside and I'm going to allow God to take over. When I yield and I present myself and lend myself, give myself to him, what? It's logical. It's cosmetic. It looks good on you. It fits. That's what you and I were designed to do. You and I, as Christians, we weren't designed to do this with God. We were designed to do what? This with God. We're designed to walk in unison and in harmony with the Spirit and that's why we need to just sometimes just stop and let God deal with it, let God handle it. I remember hearing, uh, uh, what's his name, down in, uh, down in Texas, old black preacher, and man, he's, uh, he's talking. He says, you remember, he says, back in, back in uh, Joshua, when uh, Joshua and the army, they're getting ready to come up, and he says, there's an angel of the Lord standing in the road. And Joshua looks at the angel and says, Who's, whose side are you taking? And he said, the angel of the Lord said, I didn't come to take sides. He said, I come to take over. <laughs> and I think that's what God wants to do with us. He, he's not interested in your side or somebody else's side. He's interested in taking over. And that's part of what this means to presentation. So that's the first part of our little equation, isn't it? Presentation plus what? Transformation. He says, your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Be transformed. Don't be conformed. One translation says, don't join in with the schemes. As part of the Greek word there is schemata, where we get a word schematics. It's, an order, it's a structure of how things are put together and how things work. He says, don't be conformed to this. Stop patterning yourself after the world. 
Just We don't have to do everything the way the world does. You know, I, sometimes I, I get aggravated with the church, particularly when pastors leave or sometimes pastors are dismissed. I, you know, I understand that happens. There's usually a better way to do that than what it seems to usually happen. But at any rate, it feels like to me that the world ought to be looking at the church to see how we deal with relational problems. But usually, unfortunately, it's the other way around. Many times the world, the, the church ends up looking at the corporate world or the business world to see how to handle the church's business. And I just, I don't think that's the best, that, that's the best uh, schemata. That's not the best schematics. That's not the best way to do it, but that's sometimes the way it happens, unfortunately. But uh, William Barclay, great commentator, said, don't be a chameleon. Is, was his translation. Stop masquerading. Stop doing things the way the world does things because he says God has a different way. He says that we should be transformed. The word there is metamorphosized. It's the same word that's used several times in the New Testament. Once in Matthew 17 when Jesus was transfigured at the Mount of Transfiguration, remember that? And then 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, change from glory to glory. Y'all are singing church, remember that old song? Change from glory into glory. Bum, bum, bum. I don't know what the name of it is. Uh, y'all, we can sing it later. Okay. Well, y'all know what I'm talking about. So even though I don't know what I'm talking about, I hope y'all know what I'm talking about. But at any rate, it means to be transformed. It means to be uh, metamorphosized, to, to, to morph. We know what morph is, but more, meta is the substance, to morph the substance, to change the substance of it. And that's what we need to be doing. I think sometimes that is a gradual conforming. I, I realize the way we are, and I, I know how I am. I, you know, sometimes you don't get off a horse by the old preacher said by pulling out one hair at a time. He said, sometimes you just get off, you know, you just, you just hop off. So sometimes there is drastic and total change like a, uh, like Paul on the uh, Damascus road, you know, it's a pow, man, it's, wow, it's just changing. God steps in and puts a lightning bolt on it. But sometimes that confirmation, that conforming, that change is a gradual thing. And that's part of what discipleship is. I mean, you know the old song, he's still working on me, you know. <laughs> and I imagine God's still working on all of us, isn't it? You know, we're all of us, we're, we're, we're in a groove and, and, and God takes, takes a lifetime many times to, uh, to, to speak into us and to move into us. But I think we do this through obedience. He says that we need to control our mind. Unfortunately, one old boy said uh, our minds are like concrete. Many times they're thoroughly mixed and firmly set. And we just don't want to change. He says here by be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. You know, usually before things happen here, they happen here or they happen here. And all that has to go through your mind. Most things happen first in your mind before they happen anywhere else. Our mind is our filter, and that's why it is so very important to keep our hearts and our heads set on what the world says. And, I, you know, we, we live in this world, and we see so, I mean, I tell you, America has drastically, I think, and cataclysmically shifted in about the past year. Our culture has changed drastically. The world wants to applaud it and say it's much better. I question that. I'm not sure if it's going to be better or not. I think we've gotten much more divided. I think we've gotten much more focused on somebody else. I think our culture is 
searching desperately for people and in, in isms and whatevers that they don't agree with so they can say, you're wrong because you don't agree with me. You know, whether it's race or whether it's politics or whether it's religious, r- religious I, I just think things are bad. I think things are going to get worse. Alexander Pope, who was, uh, if you look in the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations, British, you'll find the Bible, Number two is Shakespeare. Number three is Alexander Pope. He said this, Vice is a monster of so frightful mean, old British, old, that means face. Vice is a monster of so frightful mean as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too often, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. Did you hear that? We first see something and we're like, ugh, a lot of that going on. Watch TV. Watch the news. You look at it and say, ooh, never saw that before. Let's see, when did they start doing that? Oh. And the world wants to say, and they want to shovel it on. And the more you see it, what happens? Your defenses. You, you get used to it, you get used to it, and Alexander Pope says you first pity it, and then you endure it, and pretty soon you embrace it. And all you have to do is name any one of you, probably any one of us could have about three or four things floating around our mind right now, and if we're not careful, that's what happens. And he says, don't be conformed to the world. Be careful about the world. I'm not saying everything in the world is bad. There's a lot of neat, interesting stuff in the world. A lot of stuff can be used for great, just like, you know, just like all the digital world and all this stuff with computers. Man, a lot of it's really super cool. I mean, interesting. But it can also be a mess. It can also be a mess. Now, my mama, <laughs> she don't know how to spell computer. I had my phone, I'd go out there, and sometimes I'd go out and eat a tomato sandwich. I said, Mom, I'm going to come out and eat a sandwich. Okay, well, I've got some bologna, got some fresh tomatoes. I Mom, that's plenty. Oh, well, I'll fix No, Mom, that bologna and tomatoes fine with me. I'll pull out my phone. We've got uh, about every month we get a new grandkid at our house. I don't They just, it's like popcorn, man. They're just, ah! we didn't know we were going to have all these grandkids. It's, I guess that's a good thing, but I'm starting to get tired. But... <laughs> So I'll have, I say, oh, mom, here, here's a new picture of, uh, you know, Chauncey or Billy or Freddie or you know, those two, one of those names is real. But, and so I, and, and I'll say, she's looking and said, oh, see, that's neat. She said, but you know that, how do they do that? And I said, mom, there's all kinds of stuff on these phones. I said, you know, I said, there's everything on phones. But a lot of people get in trouble over their phones. I said, there's all kinds of stuff. I said, these smartphones, she said, are what? And I said, well, you know, sometimes people send naked pictures and stuff. She said, smartphones? Well, that's not very smart. <laughs> and I thought, Ma, you're right. <laughs> she knows nothing about the digital world, but she's spot on correct about that. I mean, you know, I think it was Billy Graham said that, you know, he said his grandkids now could get in more trouble in 30 minutes on the computer than what he and his friends riding around on a Saturday night looking for trouble. Get, they can get in more trouble than what he could back in those days. And I think a lot of that's true. A lot of it is what? It's based in our mind. 
Be transformed. And a lot of it, I think, is control. Man, control your mind. And I'm saying that to myself, too. Control your mind. I use this illustration, and people still, oh, Rob, I remember 20 years ago when you preached our church, you used that illustration. Remember that Pink Floyd song, you know? We don't need no, I wish somebody had plugged that in, y'all. Education, you know, and they, boom, 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 boom. Remember that? You know what I'm talking about. I got some Pink Floyd groupies out there. And then what's the next time? We don't need no thought control. Them British blokes, they speak like that. We don't need no thought control. Hey, teacher, leave book kids alone. And it gets, you know, it gets kind of funky after that. And I want to say, you know, Pink Floyd might have good music, but boy, their theology stinks. <laughs> I guarantee you do need thought control. You need it, I need it, we all need it, and the world desperately needs it. Why? Because it runs so counter to what God's values and God's culture and God's sentiment and his heart for the world is. The world runs counter so many times. I remember reading an illustration years ago, uh, The Raid on Antebi. You've probably seen that. It's been made in a movie a time or two, several books, bunches of articles written about it back in 76. Some, once again, some irate young Muslim terrorists had taken over a group of Israelis in the uh, Entebbe airport, and they didn't know what to do with it. Uh, it's a fascinating story. You should read it. The, Brit the, the Israeli commando said, let us handle it, and they flew like 800 miles in, a, in one of their transport things below radar, a big prop plane at like... 300 feet off the ground or something just I mean for hours just you know just beating them to death where they could sneak up on that the story is at any rate as they went in it was like a Hollywood movie man they came up through the floors through the windows through the ceiling and as they jumped in they were betting on the theory that the Muslim terrorists did not speak Hebrew so as they burst into this area in the Antebi airport, they were shouting in, in Hebrew, get down, hit the floor, get down, hit the floor. Well, all the Israelis who spoke Hebrew and obeyed, you know what they did? They got down and hit the floor. You know who that left standing? A bunch of armed Muslim terrorists with automatic weapons and pop, 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 there was a big gunfight and two Israelis died or three, I think. You know why? Why should we get down on the ground, <laughs> said they. Who are you telling them? What, 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 what's going on? And all the rest of them said, ah, boop. They knew what was going on, and there was a gunfight, and they freed, I think, 103 were freed. Look it up. It's on the Internet, I'm sure. So that, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty accurate story, I think. Sometimes I forget little details, but it, it, it emphasizes once again that when we hear, we should obey. You know, the Shema back in the Old Testament, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. In Old Testament Hebrew, hear is the same word as obey. You see, their theology and their culture was when we hear God speak, there is no option to whether we obey it or not. So when we hear God, we automatically speak. Those two words are the one and the same word, to hear and obey. And sometimes we don't act like that. <laughs> we think we can hear God, we can read God and say, 
God, let me get back to you a little later on that. Let, let me think about that. Well, let me see if I can work that out my own way, and I'll, I'll got to get mm. You better watch out. Be transformed. The word says the presentation, you present yourself. Then you allow God to transform your mind and change you and speak to you, and much of that comes through your obedience. It's not a secret formula. You obey. Now, even as I hear that train, I bet you, I bet you if we all closed our eyes and I said this, tell me one thing that you think that God wants you to obey, whatever it is, whatever arena of life it's in, tell me one area that you think that you hadn't been obedient in that you probably ought to be obedient in. And I bet you almost every one of us right now could tell you exactly one thing that God's been speaking to you about. That's just, pow, pow, pow. that's the way spirit works. Just, pow, 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 pow. just, I mean, spot on and God will find where you are and he'll put his finger right square on top of the problem. And if we're not careful, we're, we're fighting like we're fighting mosquitoes or something. We don't, no, no, God's, God's spot on. God's right on target with your issue. And if we will just take that and say, yes, Lord, <laughs> I quit. I give up. Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I think it was Spurgeon that said that all I need to do with God is to know that I'm a sinner and he's the Savior. <laughs> Man, that's clear. That's simple. You know, Lord, I'm wrong. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You, you are right and I'm wrong. I'll obey. Well, okay, presentation plus that transformation, what? And then as we wrap it up, he says here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that in order that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now that word prove is a word that means to run the specs, to run the schematics. How many of you have put together a ceiling fan or plumbing? I always think about that old skit, you know, with some of y'all may not, my wife thinks the Three Stooges are just, she just can't stand it. I think that, I grew up watching Three Stooges. You know when they were supposed to be plumbers and they went to the house and old guy was in there to cook and they hooked up the plumbing and everything and water started coming up out of the stove and like, that's running the specs and discovering that you did it wrong. <laughs> but let's just say you're supposed to rewire, so let's say you put some ceiling fans in here. Well, the first thing you do is what? You go to the power box, turn off power. <laughs> or make sure your switch is turned off. I, sometimes I'll cheat because I know that the power is running from that switch. So if you turn that switch off, that thing shouldn't be on. But sometimes things are not wired the way you think they are. So go to the box, turn the box off, and you get up there, and you got a green wire, black wire, red wire, blue wire, all these different wires. And so what you do, you get out the sheet of the ceiling fan, say, okay, get that, okay. And you get that, and you pull that, and you're white to white, and black to black, and red to red, and you screw those things together, and you fix that, and you put this. Before you can do that, then you have to slide this other piece on. And it's a process of these things that have to fit together. Before you can do this, you got to do this. Before you do this, you got to do this. And it's an order. It's a, it's a schematic. It's specs. They have to be put together in a certain way. Now, once you've done that, you think, Whew, get off the line. I'm glad that's done. Okay, before I turn on the switch, what do you do? Go back to the power box, turn on the power, and then what do you do? You put your finger on the switch and think, I hope that thing don't blow up and start smoking because I've got it wired back. Well, no, that wouldn't happen. It'd just break at the breaker box. That, that's, just, that's just truth right there. Yeah, I felt more than electricity. But you hope when you turn that thing on that the lights come on and the fan goes. And then you go. 
<laughs> I did right. That's running the specs. That's what this word means, that you might prove when you did that fan and you, the moment of truth comes and you turn that switch on, that's, that's what that word means. It means running the specifications to make sure you're checking your work. Now, look what it says here. When you do this, when you present your body, you've been transformed, you're not conforming to the world, you've been renewing your mind, what? In order that you might prove. God will set you in a situation to where he's going to work. God will show you, he will allow something to happen for you to be on a little bit of a display to where he can put his finger on your life and go, pow. You might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it's not just about me and what I realize. It, man, it's about the world. God is looking for people that he can put his finger on and say, here's my man. Here's my woman. Look at this life. And when God allows the specs to be run through your life, your marriage, the way you do business, the world begins to go, hmm, I wish our marriage was like that marriage. <laughs> I wish my kids were like his kids, her kids. Maybe we ought to go to that church. Maybe we ought to get their religion. Maybe we ought to trust their Jesus. You see, it's not just about you and God. It's about you and God and everybody else because God will make it that such a way. And it says, what is that perfect will of God? And we tend to think, oh, it means sprouting a halo and everything's fine. No, that's not what that word means. Perfect, it is the, the word there is teleos and it means at the end. Now you say teleos, what does that mean? Well, it means something that is, that, is, that is far away, like a telescope. You look through a telescope, the scope is the scopos, and the tele is you're looking at something way off. Every day you use a what? A telephone. A phonos is to hear. Your phonos, you're working like that, and the tele part of it is boop, it's way out there. See, you're connecting to something way out there at the teleos, at the end, at the terminus, at the junction. You see what God is saying? It's not just about the here and now. God has the ability to work this stuff out to where, man, he's making an impact, pow, way out there with your kids, with your grandkids, with your neighbors, with your community, with your country. And it may not be just in your lifetime. It may not be something that you see right now. It may be something way out there that God's, God's weaving a pattern and you're part of it, you see. That's why you don't want to fail. <laughs> That's why you want to do good. Because you want to hang in there and you want to realize once you get this, this, this equation that presentation plus transformation begins to make a revelation. Open up what is that good and acceptable and long-term will of God. Good for you, good for me, good for your church, good for your community, good for the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love today, God, that you care for us. God, what a, what a joy it is to know that, uh, that, God, you're still in the saving business. God, you're still in the working business. God, you are still, you are still in process of speaking into lives and changing lives and making a difference in lives. And, Lord, we, we want to give ourselves to you right now. Lord, this day at this time, 
Lord, it's easy to think, well, I'll work on that next week or I'll work on that next month. Right now I'm busy, God, as somebody said, if not, if not now, when? If not me, who? Lord, I pray that you would, uh, your spirit would work in us, Lord, not just this moment, but God, as the days roll by this week, God, remind us of things. Let your spirit speak to us. God, give us some refreshment. Give us conviction, give us challenge, give us memory, Lord, and, and put the pieces of the puzzle together in our lives, God, that we might make a difference for you and be kingdom people in these days. God, we need it so badly, we pray. Friends, if you're here and you never trusted Jesus and made him king and lord of your life, this would be a great day. Maybe you're a church member elsewhere and you need to come make a membership here. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and pray. Maybe there's an issue that you need to work out. God's in the working out business. So now's a great time for you to do it. Let's stand together. What's our...